No, seriously. Like, not this morning, maybe, but like a morning, I'm telling you. Um, whether it's, you know, kids or work or you know, technology, which I absolutely love. Um, yeah, it's been one of those mornings, but praise God, he's good and he's faithful. And uh, someone um, complimented my mustache, so that made me feel better. But um, yeah, that works, doesn't it? Compliments. Um, so yeah, we're going to continue this morning. We've been, as a church, going through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark is one of four men that um, recorded kind of um, just, yeah, details of Jesus' life and who he was and what he came to do and who he was about and, and stories um, about him from his birth all the way to not just his death, but also his resurrection, and kind of his you know last couple days here on this earth. And and so we've been going through Mark, and we're almost, we're almost done, which is exciting, but we're, we're just kind of coming really to what we're going to talk about this today, the last kind of few days of his life, the last few days of, of his life before he is uh, crucified, before he dies. And I didn't say the last few days of his life on earth, because we know, as we're going to read, that he rose from the grave, that he, he did live. And so he spent a couple more uh, days or so with the disciples before he ascended, as we say, um, into heaven. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me, um, and we'll be in Mark chapter 14. So either you've got Bibles on the tables or again on your, on your phone, if you've got the Bible app. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, so we're going to be again in Mark chapter 14. But before we get into this message, I wanted to share something with you guys um, when I was in junior high, um, so that's probably age 12, 13 years of age in America, um, my youth pastor named Don took me and my buddy Matt Henderson through a devotional book called Following Jesus. This is the actual book. I've kept it over all these years, um, and, if, and, and I looked at, and I look at it, it's cursive writing. Anybody know how to do cursive writing anymore? Can anybody do? Do they even teach cursive writing? Why did they teach in the 80s? I don't get it, but anyway... We had, even as cursive writing, I was pretty good, actually. I was impressed. But anyway, um, as I was looking through this, I was just looking at what I had um, written on some of the questions. Again, this is a devotional book um, that Don wanted to take uh, Matt and I through as we were just trying to figure out, you know, what does it mean to, to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? So like one of these, uh, one of the questions was, realize that as Jesus lives in you, you're not only okay, but everything he needs to change about you, he can and he will. Now make a list of those things about yourself God needs to change, and then thank God for his ability to change you. Okay, so this is what I wrote. I said, not to get mad at school, be nicer to my sister, and then to change my ways a little bit. A little bit. Um, but I love that, be nicer to my sister. I thought I, no, actually, I know I probably wasn't, but, and then... I went on to another page. It says, is there someone you're having a hard time loving right now? Put that person's name right here. Now, I said Jennifer Chen, but that's not this Jennifer Chen. My sister's name is Jennifer also. And so I put Jennifer Chen. I'm like, man, I have some real issues with my sister. Um, and then, you know, I reminded to say, love your neighbor as yourself, you know, those kind of things, and, or your sister. Um, but I just thought it was kind of funny just to look back and and see kind of where I was when I was in junior high. And, and, and I looked through, and there was some anger issues, apparently, I had in school and different things. I don't remember. But 
You know, it, it's just, but that's the beauty about our relationship with God is that we can bring things before him. Um, we, can, we can approach him. We can ask for forgiveness. You know, Paul, who is kind of, we would say, the Apostle Paul, a hero of the faith, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, a guy that, uh, you know, is kind of a great example of what it means to follow Jesus, called himself the chief of sinners. He called himself someone who's like, I don't, I'm not worthy, but, but Jesus makes me worthy, right? Jesus is the one that, as we're going to look at here this, this, this week and over the next couple of weeks, he is the one by his, his death and his resurrection from the cross, from the grave, makes us worthy, makes us, um, you know, righteous. And we'll talk a little more about what that, what that means. Um, <clears throat> So anyway, I just thought that was funny. I need to let my sister probably know about that. But, um, and just ask for forgiveness for all the things I did to her. But anyway, that's another story. But let me go ahead and just, just let's open us up again in a word of prayer um, as we embark on God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you um, that we can be here this morning. Thank you we can be together. Um, thank you that your, your words that we're going we're gonna to look at, we're going to study, we're going to read, um, we're going to recite... Um, these words are living and active. It says that your word is, is, is sharper than any double-edged sword, that it, it cuts to the bone and marrow. It gets to the heart of, of, of our issues. It gets to the heart of our identity. It gets to the heart of who we are. And so, Lord, thank you for your word that says does not return void, uh, meaning that we're changed by it, that it, it doesn't just bounce off us, but it, it penetrates inside of us. And I pray that this morning, as again, this story may be familiar to many of us that we don't take it for granted, we don't take it lightly, but we just maybe look at it from a fresh perspective as we um, are coming to the very last days, or really the last hours of Jesus' life before he is crucified. So Jesus, thank you. As we're going to see this morning, thank you that you willingly gave of your life, that you willingly went to the cross, knowing that what that was going to entail, both physically and spiritually, you did it because you love us. You love your creation. You, you wanted to have that restoration between us and the Heavenly Father. And so, Jesus, we're, we're so thankful for that. Blown away by it, we can't fully comprehend it or understand it, but at the same time, we are so thankful for it. And so, Lord, thank you that you can speak to us even today Yes, through your Holy Spirit, and we are so thankful for that, the, the Spirit that lives within us, but we also have your word, your living, active word that speaks to us today. In your son's precious name, amen. Amen. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, let's go ahead and look at, uh, again, we're in Mark chapter 14, and <clears throat> we're going to be looking from kind of 27 to about verse 52, but I want to start, I want to go back one verse to verse 26. And, and this is where, the, again, Jesus' disciples have just had the Last Supper. They've had communion together. Um, and so this very kind of fun, intimate kind of time that he has with these men, he knows it's going to be his last time with them until he comes back and reigns, right, in glory. So it's, it's, it's a special time for, for these men together in, the, in what was the upper room. And then in verse 26, it says, they had, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So what's significant about that is what I want to see, because I'm going to look at three different things, three different kind of points this morning. One, that Jesus, even in his last days, 
he does three things. Well, more, but he does this. He, he worships his father. He submits to the will of his father. And then he fulfills the ultimate plan of his father. And again, I'll come back, so don't worry about writing those all down right now, but if you are a note taker. But yeah, again, he worships, as we're going to see here, with the disciples, he worships the father. He's going to submit to the will of, the, of his father. And then, like I said, thirdly, he's going to fulfill the ultimate plan of his father. So the first thing he does, as we see, is he, he worships um, his father. And so what I want to do, if, if you can quickly go to Psalm 136. So um, go to Psalm 136. It's literally, you can just close your Bible open to the middle, and you're going to be on like Psalm or Proverbs or Isaiah. But go to Psalm 136. And I want to do what's called a responsive reading this morning, something that would be similar to what they would do in the Old Testament among the Jewish people. And there were particular psalms that they would sing or read during communion or during Passover week. And many, many theologians say, like Psalm 116, 17, 18, some have even suggested that this psalm is a psalm that they would read and recite. And so I want us to do that together. You may be familiar with it, but again, it's Psalm 136. And what I'm going to do, as you can probably see if you're already looking at it, is I'm going to read the, the first part saying, give thanks. And then you're, I'll read that, and then you guys will repeat, his love endures forever. Yeah? All right, let's do that together. So are we have still people trying to find it? Is everybody pretty much there? Okay. So in verse 1, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders, who by his understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon and the stars to govern the night, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. And brought Israel through the midst of it. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as an inheritance. An inheritance to his servant Israel. This is where you just get a little louder, right? Okay. He remembered us in our lowly estate. <laughs> and freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature. And last one, give thanks to the God of heaven. Amen. So to give you a little bit of taste of what they would, you know, what they would do, what they would sing, what they would say. And, and so, <clears throat> again, Jesus ends his time with them, potentially in this psalm, maybe another one, um, but he worships his father. He knows 
He knows what he's about to go through. He knows what the next few hours of his life is going to look like and feel like, maybe not to the full extent, but he knows where he's going. He knows this road to Calvary, to the cross, but he still chooses. He makes sure that he worships God in the midst of it. I think that's so powerful. And so we see in verse 27, it says, you, so um, he says this to them, you will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written. So they go to, the, again, what's called the Mount of Olives, which real quickly is Gethsemane, which means olive press. So it's a place where olives from the neighborhood were crushed for their oil. Um, so too, right, the Son of God is going to be crushed there. He's going to be crushed emotionally um, in, 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 in the olive press in Gethsemane. And so he goes there with his disciples. It's a very strategic place for him. And it says, they, they, he says, we will fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Meaning him as the shepherd, his sheep as his disciples. It says, it's been foretold, right? Prophecy that they will scatter. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Very, I love that. He already says, after what? After I've risen. Right? He's telling disciples, I will rise again. You will see me again. Right? Um, but he says, after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So I, I love Peter. I love his response. I love his declaration. I love this man because I can relate to him in so many ways. Um, you know, he, he, he's, he's probably out of the disciples, the most verbal. The maybe I would not say, say the most passionate, maybe uh, the most gung-ho. He's the, kind of the guy that, that really... Um, just kind of sticks his foot in it sometimes. You know, um, his, his heart is bigger sometimes than what he actually wants to do or will do. But he does this, he goes, so truly I tell you, or be bitter, declare, even if I fall away, verse 29, I will not. Even if all fall away, I will not. Even if these other guys, these 10 other guys fall away, uh, hey, Jesus, I'm not gonna fall away. I'm there, I'm there with you to the end, Right? I love that tenacity. I love that passion. I love his heart in that. But Jesus knows Peter, doesn't he? <laughs> I think I'm supposed to be clicking this, but I'm not really sure. But, you know? Oh, well, hello. Okay, there you go. Um, and uh, But Jesus knows Peter as he knows us, right? And he says, truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, even tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself would disown me three times. So he kind of just brings Peter kind of back to reality, doesn't he? I, again, I love this man. I love his heart. I love his passion. I love his tenacity. I love, you know, but Jesus says, Peter, that's just, unfortunately, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, before the rooster crows was it three times, you will, or twice, you will deny me three, three times. But what does Peter do? He doesn't back down. He says, Peter, uh, but Peter instant, insisted emphatically, passionately, right? Even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And the others, oh, y'all said the same thing, right? They're all like, yeah, 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 we're not gonna, we are with you till the very end. If they arrest us, if they kill us, it doesn't matter, we're with you. And then what happens? Well, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, so we have, so that's again, verses 27 through 31, and then you go into verse 32, and uh, this is the second point that I want to make. I think it's up here that Jesus submits to the will of the Father. He submits to the will of the Father. 
So let's go ahead and read, starting in verse 32. So it says, so they went to the place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and so he had his, at that point, there's 11 of them, right? We have Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus. He is gone. Um, he's in process of turning Jesus in, as we're going to see uh, here in, in a minute. Um, but he takes these three men that he often spent time with, often kind of took off to the side um, or spent a little more time with, and uh, is kind of inner circle, um, if you will. And he took them along with him and began to deeply, to be deeply distressed and troubled. I think that's an understatement. I think that's an understatement, but it says he's beginning to be deeply distressed and troubled. It says in verse 30, it says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch with me. So he's asking these three specific men, some of his closest, closest friends to go, please stay here with me, pray with me, keep watch with me. Man, I just, I would love to have your company at this point in my life. Then it says, going a little further in verse 35, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it's possible, the hour might pass from him, meaning the whole crucifixion, that this whole situation that's about to happen in his life, that he's praying that God would, that would pass, that it wouldn't, it wouldn't need to happen. See, what I love about this, this moment in Jesus' life is we see that Jesus is 100% God. We also see that Jesus is 100% man. We see that Jesus, as part of the Trinity, as God, you know, God the Son, um, he's still going to submit his will to the Father, but he knows it's going to hurt. He knows it's going to hurt physically. He also knows it's going to hurt spiritually because for a time, he is going to be separated kind of spiritually, relationally from his Father because of our sin that is placed upon his body. That is hard to understand, isn't it? Um, but that's how, that, that's just what's going to happen. So he knows this is coming. So in his, I guess in his humanness, if I can say it that way, knowing this is going to hurt, knowing this is not going to be pleasant, he's like, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way. One of the gospel writers says that he was had so much tension, anxiety, that he literally, like, sweated blood. That's an actual physical condition that you can have. But, you know, it was like he was sweating blood. He, that was, there was so much anxiety, so much tension, so much grief, so much anguish in Jesus. So again, verse 35, going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. He falls. I, I can just see him just... He's done. He is just physically spent, and he just falls to the ground. And then in verse 36, he says this. He says, Abba, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Um, I'm going to come back to that here in a minute. But, you know, like I said, Jesus will not only experience the physical pain of the cross, um, but the spiritual pain as well. There's some verses I want to just read to you that, again, you might be familiar with. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 27, uh, 21, Paul says this, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, okay? God made Jesus who had no sin 
so that, we, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You maybe heard me say this before. It's, it's this great exchange that happens. Um, we, Jesus on the cross takes the sin of humanity. He takes our sin. And then it says, then we get like his righteousness, his rightness. Like, and that's more of a positional righteousness, meaning that righteousness of us before God the Father, who is holy, who is perfect. And as, as, as sinful beings, you know, from, from, Adam, from the very beginning, again, that sin, right, what it did, it, 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 it kind of tore, it separated, it, it, caused, it caused a chasm between us and the Heavenly Father um, in a way, right? And so by Jesus taking on our sin and our punishment, and all of a sudden now, he takes our sin, and then we take on his righteousness. One of the great ways I love to think about that is, you know, just having the, a dirty kind of robe, a very dirty, gross, kind of stinky robe that I'm wearing that, that kind of signifies my sin. And Jesus has this beautiful white robe that he wears signifying his holiness, his righteousness, his right standing with God. And he comes to me, he says, let me, let me, let me take that robe from you. And here, take my robe, and he puts us that robe on us. And, and that's an uncomfortable thing, isn't it, to have that? We just don't, I don't deserve that robe. God, don't you understand kind of who I am and what I say and what I believe and the fact that I'm mean to my sister? I mean, I don't deserve that white robe. And he says, no, it's, it's yours. And he puts for a time, right, he puts that robe, my robe on him, and he takes the stench and the filthiness of that for a time. He takes that, right, because he loves us. Um, in Galatians chapter 3.13, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on a cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Right, he takes that, again, that curse of sin, he takes it upon himself. It's pronounced upon him when he hung on that cross. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says this, He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Again, he himself is a sacrifice that atones for our, he makes it, we make it very personal, right? Our sins. Not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. He began to be troubled, like I said, and deeply distressed. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Jesus knew what the Father's will was. He knew it was the will of him that, that he came, right, to, to die. That was his, his purpose in, in coming to earth is to eventually die on a cross. Now, he did come and to seek and save the lost. He came and he healed people, you know, and, and he taught us some amazing things. But, but he came ultimately to die. This was the moment that he was born for. So weird, right? This was the moment that he was born for, is to do this very thing. It was because of Jesus was to be a sacrifice for sins, and he wasn't an unknown, unknowingly sacrificial animal. Nor was he a victim of circumstances, meaning he was resolved willingly to lay down his life. There are a lot of Christians out there in the church today um, and people that are trying to say this is a case of cosmic child abuse. A cosmic child abuse. And so they use that to kind of 
discredit or, or, or come against Christianity, but that's the, the problem, it just doesn't fly. If you read Scripture, if you read the Bible, if you read the New Testament, if you read the Old Testament, if you look at Scripture, you cannot say that. Why? Because we know from many verses that Jesus willingly gave his life for us. In Matthew 20, 28, Jesus says himself, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right? He says this about himself. <laughs> he says, man, that's why I came, to give my life as a ransom for many. John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. This is a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You and I are that sheep, right? He says, so again, this is something he came to do. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. I don't see cosmic child abuse in any of those verses. I see God who had a plan. Why? Because he loves us, wants to be restored in relationship with the creation, you know, and he sent Jesus to fulfill that plan. You know, I don't know at what point, at what age, Jesus kind of just, oh, oh, yeah, wow, I'm going to need, I don't know, was it 8, 9, 10, 12, 14? I, I don't know. I mean, we see him debating with the scholars in the, in the temple when he was 12. You know, but at some point, again, he knew, yes, this is why I've come. This is the, the job, the assignment, the mission that my father has sent me on. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Remember, I, he said, Abba, Father. So going back to the scripture, it says in verse 36, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. I don't know if you know anything about that term, Abba, Father. It's just basically saying, Father, Father. It's a very intimate term. Um, and so he's, he's even getting more intimate with the Father. He's getting more, you know, just, okay, Lord, I, again, God, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Take this wrath from me. Take what's going to happen from me. You know, so he's, he's pleading as, as a child, as a son with his dad. But he stays on course, right? He, he's, he basically is just saying, okay, Lord, I, I, yes, I know this is your will. God, this is your will. Father, this is your will. And so, so be it. Um, I will fulfill this will. I will fulfill this plan. Repeatedly in the Old Testament, when he, the cup is a powerful picture of the wrath and judgment of God. <clears throat> we look at places like Psalm 75, Isaiah 51, Jeremiah 25, where it talks about God pouring out his wrath, like, as, like pouring out of a cup upon whether it was the nation of Israel or other nations around them. Again, a, a, a wrath that wasn't undeserved. There was a reason for it, but nonetheless, so Jesus became, as it were, and this is where it really gets hard, to be honest with you, right? Because... Jesus at this moment, when, when he dies on the cross, he in, in essence because, becomes an enemy of God, not because of who he is, but because of the fact that he has now, all of our sins has been placed upon him. 
That's just, wow. That makes his grace and his love, his mercy, so much sweeter. In many ways, he was forced to drink the cup of the Father's fury so that we would not have to drink that cup. We wouldn't have to drink it. He drank it for us. Again, this was a source of Jesus' agony. This was a source of him falling on his knees, him pleading with his dad, you know, if there's any other way. I think it's more was this, this spiritual than it was necessarily the physical. <clears throat> um, Mel Gibson, The Passion of Christ. The Passion of Jesus? The Passion of Christ, I think. Yeah. A um, couple things there that is interesting. I remember Jenny and I went and saw it. We were living in her hometown for a while, and little small little theater um, on the beach. And you know, and there's a bunch of us. It was opening night, so there's probably 30 or 40 of us, mostly Christians, that went and saw uh, the Passion. And there's very few movies that I that I've left where I haven't said anything. That I was just just overwhelmed. I was. You know, we just drove, we all left the theater without saying a single thing to each other. A lot of us knew one another, um, being a small community. I remember Jenny and I just got in the car and, and drove, um, drove up north, and, and we just didn't say anything to one another. We were so, it was just one of those things, you're just overwhelmed by what you just saw. Also, I don't know if you know Mel Gibson, when they are um, <clears throat> hammering Jesus, the nails into his wrists, um, that when the Roman, the, the, the hand that's holding one of the nails, and that is actually Mel Gibson's, that he's doing that, not just as director, but he wanted to do that because he wanted to remind himself that it was his sin that put Jesus on the cross. That it's our sin, it's your sin, it's my sin, it's the sin of, right? It's, and so he wanted to make that something very personal for himself, that he's not forgetting that what his sin did, that it put Jesus on the cross. But again, let's go back to what I said. Jesus also willingly, he knew from the beginning there was a plan um, to, 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 to deal with our sin, to deal with this separation. And it was, it was his son. It was Jesus. I, I love that. Um, <clears throat> number three, Jesus fulfills the ultimate plan of his father. So that'd be my third point. Jesus uh, fulfills, eh, um, okay, All right, anyway, but uh, yeah, Jesus fulfills the ultimate plan of his father. So in verse 43, well, let's go to verse 37. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Surprise, surprise. Um, he says, Simon, who's Peter, he said to Peter, you, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Couldn't you just keep watch for one? Couldn't you just stay awake for one hour, mate? So he says again, watch and pray so that you will not fall in temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Again, very much in their humanness, very much just tired of sleep. And you and I have probably been doing the exact same thing. Verse 41, returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. He just kind of got a little fed up. You know, it says, hours come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And then he goes into verse 43. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, again, the one that, that betrays him, appears with him, was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and teachers of law. 
and the elders. So these are the men that are going to come and arrest Jesus. Now, the betrayer, Judas, had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is, kiss, the one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew a sword. That's Peter, um, as we see it in another gospel. Instruct a servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Um, we also know, though, that Jesus takes that ear and restores, heals that guard, um, which is brilliant. Um, but he said, but Jesus says in verse 48, Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And this is where, again, he fulfills the ultimate plan of the Father. Um, scriptures must be fulfilled, and everyone deserted him and fled, just as he said that they would. The scriptures must be fulfilled. This was the ultimate plan of the Father, is that Jesus was to be arrested, he was to be betrayed, he was to be killed, as, as we're going to see um, on Good Friday, that he was to die. Um, <clears throat> I want to look at Isaiah chapter 53. Um, this is probably one of the best places that we see this idea of, of, of Jesus fulfilling the ultimate plan or, or knowing there was a plan. <clears throat> so if you want to go there, it's Isaiah 53, starting to verse 4. Again, it's right there in the middle uh, of your Bible. I'm actually going to start at verse 1 and read to verse 6. And so it says, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a t tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. And we're talking about Jesus here, right? This is, like, this is hundreds of years before, and it said, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing is an appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Wow, kind of a different kind of you know, description of Jesus than a lot of times we think, or at least the media or even churches portray of him. But it says in verse 4, Surely he took our pain, and it says he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But, that's a very important but right there. Okay, he says, but he was what? He was pierced for our transgressions. Thanks, mate. Did you do that? Thank you. Um, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, right, we are six, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Guys, that's, that's a massive passage in scripture right there. Yeah, he was pierced for our transgressions, for my transgressions, for my sins. He was crushed for my iniquity. But the punishment that brought us peace 
was on him, and by his wounds we are By his wounds, right? He takes my filthy rags and he gives me a beautiful white robe of rightness, of righteousness. So here's the beauty of the gospel, and we've got to remember this, right? That, that again, like Paul says in Romans 3.23, for we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Our sin put us in a really bad predicament, a really bad situation. But Jesus goes to the cross. He defeats what it says is sin and, or the effect of sin on us. When he says that it's finished on the cross, when, and we'll probably be talking about this, his last words saying, it is finished. What was finished? Not his life. He's not saying his life was finished. We know that. He's saying what I came to do, what I came to accomplish is finished. I came to do what I came to do. I accomplished my mission. We're good. In John 3.16, you guys all, well, maybe most of you know this passage. Um, in America, we'll often see this at football games, you know, and people have John 3.16 banners um, to do some witnessing. But again, what does it say? For God, what? So loved the world. Not like physical, like the, but us, like us of the world, his creation, his, his people, his, um, his creation. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then he writes in John, First John 3, 16, He says this, that, uh, and so we know and rely on the, uh, on the love God has for us. Let me say it again. And we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Man, how do we know what love is? Right there, that, that's kind of our, that's our description. This is what love is. I, I think it's okay to say I, I love Manchester United. I don't know, maybe that's, I don't know. Is that okay to say? Probably not, not in this room. Maybe, no, okay, sorry, bad. Um, you know, or I love... Hawaiian pizza. I know that's weird in this country too, but, um, or I love, you know, my spouse. I love my children. Those are great. No, absolutely. You can love those things. Please love your spouse. Please love your kids. I'm not sure about Manchester United, but, you know, but we can have a strong passion for things and we can use that terminology and that's fine. But man, this is the quintessential, the ultimate description, definition of what love is. Hands down, right there. That's the gospel, guys. Jesus laid down his life for us. Why? Because we're, we're just messed up. 
we've got this sin issue. We've got this condition that only Jesus can deal with. And I love that. And I'm so thankful that I have a God who is not distant, a God who didn't just create the world, spin it into motion, and back away. I'm glad I don't have a God who is just unemotionally involved in my life. I'm so glad that I have a God that is seriously invested in me and us as his creation. That's the, that's, that's, that's the God that we have, enough to where he sends Jesus to come and be among us and then ultimately to give his life for us so that we can be restored um, to him. how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Who are those? That's every, everybody in here. Uh, I'm looking at my brothers and my sisters. What am I willing to sacrifice or lay aside or, or you know, for, for my brother and my sister? And I'm so thankful that God laid his life down for me. Heavenly Father, a lot to, lot to take in, a lot to process this morning. Um, there's so much here that we can just expand on. But Father, thank you that, as we saw, you, you, this wasn't a case of cosmic child abuse, that Jesus, you willingly, for the, for the joy set before you, for this plan, that there was no other way, and so you, you, you came to this earth. As a little baby, as a very humble, very vulnerable little little child, came here to this to this place. This to thirty years later, give of your life. But man, what a life! And what a price that was paid! And, and thank you, thank you, Jesus, that you love us so much that you did that for us so that we can, again, be restored into a rightful relationship with the Father, with God the Father. Father, help us not to take any of this for granted, but that we would, again, understand and know the gospel and what that means, the impact not just for our lives, but for the lives of those around us, especially for those that don't know you. Lord, that we would just so want to see them come into a relationship with their, with their creator, um, with their Father, with their Heavenly Father. So, Lord Jesus, you're so good. You're so good. So, Father, just as we, as we, yeah, we just wrap this time in your word, again, that it would not return void, that, that this message, that these words, that these scriptures would uh, just really have an impact in our lives this morning and go with us, not just through today, but through the rest of this week. And as we're coming up to Easter, to Good Friday, and to Resurrection Day, that we get reminded the extent of your love for us and what you went through, both physically and spiritually, so that we can be restored and redeemed, loved by you. Let's go ahead and have.